All right, it's Christmas Day for those who are uninformed. And because of that reason, we'll put our series through Genesis on hold because I don't think I could get away with not presenting something to do with Christmas today. December 26th, maybe. December 25th, never. So we've got to do this, amen. Even though Christ wasn't even born this time of year, uh, it is nice that our calendar sets aside time for the world to consider what this is all about. Well, it was seven Christmases ago when Christmas fell on a Sunday. I'm with Brother Long. I wish it fell every, every year on a Sunday. I, I love the way it gets us focused in the right direction. For those who are here, you may remember we had a blizzard that afternoon. Um, wasn't that fun. We actually had to cancel our evening service, and as you can tell, there's not a whole lot that cancels church around here, but um, that did, and uh, it, it really didn't get terrible until around 2 o'clock, a band of wintry mix was rolling through at just the time that people would be getting up, looking out the window, decide if they were going to come in, and they would have seen that snow falling and thought, the storm's starting, I'm just going to stay home, and I, being the savvy meteorologist that I am... <laughs> I knew that it was nothing yet, and so I, I came in, and uh, <clears throat> well, this is going over better than I thought. Um, I came in. I, I knew it was futile to try to explain to a bunch of armchair meteorologists armed with nothing more than your internet what was taking place, so I, I just drove into town. I pressed on with our services. I knew it would be lowly attended. It was. We had about 40 people here that morning. And as a result, I decided back then that what I gave on Christmas that day, I was going to give again when Christmas fell on Sunday again, because most of you weren't here or most of you missed it. <clears throat> and, and we didn't live stream back then, right? So um, you, you missed it. And, and we probably had even less people here for Sunday school, and that's what I've decided to give you. I had to decide between my morning message or my Sunday school lesson back then, and I decided to present my Sunday school lesson for you today. This is my Christmas gift uh, to you, and if you were one of the few that were here seven Christmases ago, then as I, bear with me as I recycle this Christmas classic lesson, amen. Hey, listen, if TBS can play a Christmas story 24 hours straight, it's okay if I give another lesson, amen. Um, besides, who wanted to study over Christmas? Not me. Um, I did study. I'm only teasing. Everybody chill out. Now, we're not going to be, I'm not going to be preaching today. I just want to give you some points. Um, don't want to lay anything heavy on you on Christmas. But we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and that's a message in of itself. And so we're fine there. The Lord's the one who instituted the Lord's Supper, and, and He's the one that gave the first message, and we're just going to repeat His message as well uh, today. So when it comes to true Christianity, there are events that are lines in the sand. There are things that we have to say, this is truth. Amen. Things that are critical to our faith, things like the virgin birth. Amen. We cannot budge on that. If you don't believe the virgin birth, you don't believe in the Savior of the Bible. Amen. And so this is, this is something we can't bend on. We, we believe in Je Jesus' sinless life, His shed blood, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. All of these come to mind when we think about those things that are critical to our faith. But for today, I want to draw out the parallels that we see between Christ's birth and His death. Some are pretty obvious. Some are not so obvious. And I think as you see these parallels, you'll see just how our Father has planned it all. And some of these are really quite amazing when we get into it. 
And we won't take the time to turn to all the passages. I think it'd just take too long um, because I've never had a lesson this long before in my life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fast, okay? But um, we, we won't have time to turn to all these. However, the first parallel we're going to look at, they're all in Isaiah. So if you want to turn to Isaiah, just so we can say we looked in our Bibles, right? And then if you want to follow along afterwards, you can. But we're going to take a quick journey through the parallels between Jesus' birth and His death and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. First thing I want to tell you is Jesus' birth and death were prophesied in the Old Testament. They were foretold of. Isaiah 7, if you'd like to turn there, very popular passage in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, which we know being interpreted is God with us. That's a thought right there. Now, Isaiah 9 and verse 6, let me just read this while we're in the neighborhood. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon His shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the choir did a great job there. Isaiah 53, let's look at Christ's death prophesied. I've decided to read this whole chapter because it's just that good. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Get this phrase now. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many." For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercessor for the transgressors. What a great chapter. Amen. All right, moving on to the next one. Like I said, I'm just going to move fast. Mary was present at both. Spoiler alert, Mary was there when Jesus was born. Amen. But if you doubt the scriptural integrity of that statement, 
Luke 2, 7 says, And she, speaking of Mary, brought forth her firstborn son. And of course, at Christ's death, we read this in John 19, 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. So Mary was the first to behold, one of the first to behold our Lord at his birth. And Mary was one of the last to behold our Lord before he died on the cross. And why wouldn't his mother be there? Amen. You mothers know you have a bond with children that us men can't fully comprehend. We do not carry them in our womb. Hallelujah. But a woman understands that. There were men named Joseph at both his birth and death. Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. And the two went together from Galilee of the city of Nazareth to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem. The Bible tells us there was no room for them in the inn. So Joseph, who would be Jesus' earthly father, so to speak, he was present at his birth. And just a side note here, we see just how the royal line of David had been lowered. It had been humbled. It, had been, uh, it was no longer a kingly line. Joseph should have been king over Israel. But that's what sin does. Amen? Now there was a Joseph at Christ's death, Matthew 27, verses 57 through 59. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. So isn't this interesting? There was a Joseph who carried Jesus when he was born, and there was a Joseph who carried Jesus after he had died. What a thought. Uh, Christ was naked at both. Obviously, we're born into this world with no clothing on. Amen. I don't think I need to explain that. At least I hope I don't. But again, if you doubt the scriptural authenticity of this, Job 121, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Now, we understand that. But at Christ's death, uh, I know what the paintings show, and there are some disagreements to this point. But it was a practice to strip an individual of their clothing before crucifixion. We know concerning Christ's death at the foot of the cross, the soldiers were gambling for His garments. Matthew 27, 35, And they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture they did cast lots. Obviously, in order for them to cast lots for His clothes, they had to take His clothes from Him. And Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And that's a word that would indicate our, our nakedness, especially when you connect it to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.18. Jesus counseled them to buy clothes. Why? That, thy, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And so Jesus was naked at both his birth and his death. And, then, and he despised that shame for us. Amen. Christ was wrapped in a linen cloth at his birth and his death. After we read that Mary brought forth her firstborn son in Luke 2.7, the Bible says that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And I don't want to get too wrapped up into what swaddling clothes are. Okay. I thought that was a pretty good pun. It was intended, but it didn't really hit the mark. Um, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. I don't want to get wrapped. Okay, I got to stop. <clears throat> this would have been a long and narrow 
cloth in which new babies were wrapped in. It was the swaddling clothes, along with lying in a manger, that would be assigned to the shepherds in the field when they came to see Jesus. Luke 2.12, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. At Christ's death, after He died upon the cross, Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus from the cross, but before He laid Him in the tomb, Matthew 27.59 says, When Joseph had taken the body, He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And so when Jesus came into this world, He was wrapped in linen. When He left this world, He was wrapped in linen. And to give the sign that Jesus had not been stolen from the tomb, because remember that was the fear by those who didn't believe in Christ. His disciples will come and take the body at night and say that He rose again. Well, to give them a sign that He had not been stolen from the tomb, but rather that He had resurrected from the grave, these, these grave linens were found neatly folded in the tomb. Remember that? And thieves would have taken the linen because that would have been valuable to them. A dead man's body is not that valuable to somebody. But the linen would be. And so they didn't take that. They didn't take... And, and if, they were, if they wanted the body, they wouldn't have taken time to unwrap Jesus. They would just stole him and unwrapped him later, right? Because even when Lazarus was raised again, they had to sit there and unwrap the guy. That would have been a cool sight to see. So there was a process involved. But our Lord got the victory over death, hell, and the grave. He needed no help unwrapping Himself. And when the disciples saw the linen folded, it was a clear indication that there was no break-in at the tomb. And those are little important facts um, when you try to defend our faith. Christ's resting place was stone at His birth and at His death. According to Luke 2.7, after Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, she laid Him in a manger. And there's some debate on, on this, what it actually means. In, in our American minds, we don't fully understand the culture of that day. But in those days, it was common that you would keep livestock in houses. And that's still true today in many places over there. It's especially true during unusually cold times or if there's the danger of thieves. And so when we think of a manger, we think of a barn right? The Greek word for manger is only used four times. Three times it's in Luke chapter 2 and all are in the context of Jesus being laid in a manger. The fourth occurrence is in Luke 13, 15 where it says, Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? So the word stall there is the same for manger in Luke 2 and the stall in Luke 13 certainly indicates it's a place where animals are kept. Right? That makes sense. Uh, so the manger in Luke 2, in that context, it has reference to a barn-like setting, or as they called it, a stall. And in many cases, what they did is the first story, the, there was two stories to the home. On the second floor would be where you lived. The bottom floor would be where you would put the animals in at night and keep them safe. Usually it was carved into, into rock like a cave or something like that. Whatever the exact setting may have been, it's a very interesting study. It wasn't unheard of in those days for people to stay in a manger. But given the exceptional and really expected hospitality of the people of that culture, and in many places over there, they're still very hospitable. Amen? They're not like me. They're very hospitable. And so you would think that a nine-month pregnant woman would not be relegated to giving birth amongst the animals, but there she is in, in this stall. 
But most agree, as do I, for what it's worth, that the word for manger may also have been different from just an open stall, but that the manger referred to the feeding trough that they would use within a stall. Am I making sense? So mangers were made from clay mixed with straw or from stones held together with mud. Sometimes they were carved into natural outcroppings of rocks out in fields, but mangers could be found in a number of areas, stalls and houses, uh, watering areas, uh, just to name a few. And so when the Bible says that Mary laid him in a manger, I believe this refers to the stone trough that were used for animals in the stalls. In other words, a stone uh, manger was used as Jesus' crib. Now, you can take the following for what it's worth. Some say there's no merit to it. Since it's not in the Bible, some say there is merit based upon oral Jewish traditions. I find it compelling enough to give to you this morning, and you can study it later if you want and draw your own conclusion. But Bethlehem was a shepherd town, and given its proximity to Jerusalem, I think it was only five and a half miles from Jerusalem, given its proximity to Jerusalem, it is said many of the Passover lambs were raised in Bethlehem. And it is said when a lamb was born without spot or blemish, the shepherds would place those sacrificial lambs in a manger to prevent them from becoming maimed because it had to be a lamb without blemish. Therefore, it's believed by some, this is the reason the angels announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Because it does seem kind of odd that out of all they could have chose to announce it to, they go to shepherds. And, and they announced the birth of Christ to these shepherds out in the field saying, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so the thinking is that the shepherds of Bethlehem would have understood the significance of this picture of Jesus lying in a manger being the perfect sacrificial Lamb of God. And He's placed there. In, in their mind would have understood for the protection. Um, and so the point is, and, and again, you have to study that for yourself, but the point is at Christ's birth, Jesus was laid in hewn stone. At Christ's death, we know He was laid in hewn stone. In Luke 23:53, and He, speaking of Joseph of Arimathea, took it down, speaking of Jesus' body, and wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And so Jesus, who was physically helpless at His birth, and was laid to rest in a stone manger, we see Jesus, who would have been physically helpless, obviously, after His death, was laid to rest in a stone tomb. Interesting. Darkness was present at Christ's birth and at Christ's death. And, uh, after Luke 2.7, when Mary has delivered Jesus, the next verse says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so Jesus was born at a time of darkness. Christ's death, Luke 23, 44 and 45, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. So the light of the world, think about that. The light of the world was born in, in the darkness of night. And when the light of the world was on the cross, the earth went black for three hours. Why? The Lord had laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Angels made announcements around the time of Jesus' birth and death. Again, sticking with Luke 2 at Christ's birth. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then at Christ's resurrection in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. <laughs> that always cracks me up. We have a lot of mics, amen. Mike, the other Mike. Um, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. So we have the angel of the Lord at both his birth and his death making a proclamation. The angels asked the women who had come to the tomb, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Whoop! <laughs> That's a lap statement right there. Myrrh was presented after Christ's birth, and myrrh was used at his death. Christ's birth in Matthew 2.11, And when they were coming to the house, this is talking about the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, all of those gifts have meaning. And I won't get into that, but focusing on the myrrh, myrrh is an, act, an, an extract from a tree with a very bitter taste. It has many uses. One particular importance is it was also used to prepare a body for burial. At Christ's death, it, it would be a bitter experience, amen? And remember, the Passover lamb had to be eaten with bitter herbs. The myrrh presented at his birth looked ahead to his bitter sufferings and his death. And then at Christ's death, after Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus down, we read the following in John 19, verses 39 and 40. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And so we have myrrh at both his birth and death. There were also Herod's ruling during the time of Jesus' birth and death. At Christ's birth, remember Herod is a position. It's not a name, but it's like a king. Uh, Herod the Great, he was the one ruling in Judea when Christ was born. And he's the one the wise men went to to ask, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? And so it was Herod the Great who decided to have all the, all the males two years and under uh, put to death in hopes of having Jesus killed. Uh, all the babies in Bethlehem and, and the coast thereof. Matthew 2.13, it says, And when they, speaking of the wise men, were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And Mary and Joseph remained in Egypt until uh, after Herod the Great had died. And then Hosea 11.1 1 was fulfilled, which says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Actually, Hosea 11.1 1 says, And called my son out of Egypt. I always quote the New Testament one in Matthew 2.15. And, and so that prophecy was fulfilled. And then when we lead up to Christ's death, 
it says in Luke 23, verses 8 through 11, And when Herod, and this is now Herod Antipas, which would have been the son of Herod the Great, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season. Remember, Jesus is going to be brought before Herod. Herod's excited because he thinks he's going to see Jesus do a miracle, right? And, and so he's excited about this, and he hoped, it says he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And so we have Herod's at his birth and death. The chief priests and the scribes, they both missed Jesus, right? They missed him at his birth and they missed him at his death. Matthew 2, it says in verses 4 through 6, And when he, Herod the Great, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Isn't that amazing? Herod the Great, he goes to the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says, Where is he going to be born? Oh, it's Bethlehem of Judah. That's where he was born. How come they're not connecting the dots? Amen. Hey, come on. Amen. It's the same reason why some of you aren't saved yet. The answer's right here. It's black and white. You know it. They missed it. They could even quote the verse. And they missed it. I'm not supposed to be preaching. Let me get back to boring. Christ's death. Matthew 27 Verses 41 through 43. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. You see, these are the ones in Israel who should have known. They should have been teaching others. And they should have been expecting the Messiah's arrival. They should have recognized the events. But they were willingly ignorant of the times. Do you recognize the times that we're living in? I hope you do. Because Christ's second coming is on the way. And we will stand in judgment. Don't miss what's coming. Alright? Don't be blinded. It's in the Word of God. Don't miss the Messiah today either. Amen. Look, you're in church for a reason. Listen, you're in a good church. Amen. You have the Word of God. So you have a church. You have a Word of God. You're familiar with all this Christmas account. But like the chief priests and the elder, or the scribes, you can still miss Him. You can still miss Him. This may just be religious exercise for you. But I pray none of you will miss Him today. Amen. So on the other hand, unlikely people recognized Jesus' deity at His birth and death. It was the shepherds in the field. They, they, they understood. The palace didn't recognize Him. The religious elites didn't recognize Him. But these shepherds in the field, they recognized Him. Luke 2.20, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, 
as it was told unto them. Christ's death. Shepherds understood it was Christ at His birth, and it would be a Roman soldier who recognized it was Christ at His death. Remember that? Mark 15, 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Both Jesus' birth and death were in humility. He humbled Himself by robing Himself in flesh. He humbled Himself by leaving the glories of heaven and coming down to live among us. He humbled Himself unto death. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, "...but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself, and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." And there was worship at both His birth and death. Now this is really a contrast, not so much a parallel, but you'll see what I mean. At Christ's birth, we know the, the wise men came, they presented themselves. This would have been a little bit after His birth, of course. Um, but they came to Jesus, and the Bible says they fell down and worshipped Him. By the way, that's what all wise people will do. Christ's death... Mark 15, verses 15 through 20, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So at Christ's birth, there was genuine worship, right? At Christ's death, there was a corrupted form of worship. They were mocking him. At Christ's birth and death, he was hailed as king. At his birth, we read uh, the wise men asking, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And then at his death, we know that, I, I just read, they They mockingly were worshiping Him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. But this is is what we read above Jesus' head on the cross. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. John 19, 15, But they cried out, Away with Him, away with Him, crucify Him. And even Pilate, a Gentile, he said, Shall I crucify your King? The chief priest answered, We have no King but Caesar. Now, we know Christ is the King of kings. And when He returns, there's not going to be any doubt. He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He was the miracle promised seed in His birth and death. At His birth, it was told to Mary, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb. She asked, How can this be, seeing I know not a man? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here to hurry. The Holy Ghost, the angel Gabriel said, shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so his entrance into Mary's womb was miraculous. Amen. It was a miracle that brought him to Mary and into this world. The promised seed of God had miraculously arrived through a virgin named Mary. That's a miracle. At Christ's death... He would be the miracle seed in His death as well. He said in John 12, 
verses 23 and 24. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So Christ is that seed that went into the ground. And when He sprang forth out of the ground, it brought life. Hallelujah. That's why we have life today. Because He's the resurrection and the life. Miraculous in life, miraculous in death. We have a great Savior. Amen. Amen. He is the seed in Mary's womb. He was the seed which fell into the ground. And He has risen to bring us life. And I'd ask you this morning, listen please, do you have a life of Christ right now? Do you have that life with Christ? A life that is hid with Christ in God. Do you have that life? Or are you still lost in your sins? He's the miracle seed. He came to give life and to give it more abundantly. What better day than to give your heart to Christ than on Christmas, amen? I don't know your heart, but I said at the outset of this lesson, these are just observations. I gave you 16 thoughts. Can you believe that? I'm amazed. And this is like the most ground we've ever covered in one Sunday ever. Our Father planned it all, amen? And if you don't have life, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We'll say more about that as we go into the Lord's Supper. So we're about to pray. We're not going to have an invitation yet. We'll have one in just a moment as we get ready for the Lord's Supper. But Luke, I'd like to say goodbye to our live stream audience, please. And as he shuts down the live stream, we're going to pray and move right into celebrating the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me, please?